analyzing your losses as cliche as it is and losses in life, losses and other things, analyzing your losses are the fastest way to improve and they change you. They make you a better chess player, golfer, comedian, businessman, person. Like analyzing losses are key. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Come from a different cloth Y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state We scrape the plate I put my eggs in the basket Took a leap of faith I took a chance Now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests Now let's bring Matt Welcome to the show, everyone. Episode number 232 with your host, Matt Labrie, right here on the Decoding Success Podcast. Now, before diving into the quick little glimpse, the snippet that you just got of this episode and this conversation with a really incredible guest, it just so happens to be one of my favorite conversations I've probably ever had in 29 years of existence. And I genuinely mean that. I'm not even just saying that to keep you around to listen into it. I truly mean it. It's a very powerful talk. Before diving into that, though, I just want to point something out. And it's going to connect with the episode we're diving into where you are right now in life on the polarity scale of life, whether the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, equilibrium, wherever you find yourself on that scale of life. I just want to let you know that it is not your final destination. There is a way out of the basement. There is a way out of those low lows. And the truth of the matter is those high highs don't last forever. We have a range of emotions. We have life experiences. And I'm saying this because I'm actually talking to myself in the process. I've been experiencing a lot of turbulence in life. But even beyond that, our guest has also experienced this turbulence. And one of his life goals is to help us understand how he freed himself so that we can free ourselves too. Today, we're joined by our friend, James Altucher, an entrepreneur and angel investor who has achieved the rank of chess master amongst being an author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Choose Yourself. Now, James has started 20 companies, 17 of which have failed, and he's very open and honest about that because he's learned a lot along the way. If you've ever been stuck in a job you hate, in a house you can't afford, in a life you don't want, in your own depressed or anxious mind, anything, James wants to help you. Why? Because he gets it. He's been there and he wants to tell you how he freed himself so maybe you can start to free yourself too. That is exactly what we're diving into here today on the Decoding Success Podcast with James. I'm really excited to have you rocking with us. I'm going to urge you, and I do a lot of urging on this show, but I really want you to share this with someone today. Share it on your Instagram story, on your Twitter feed, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever, however, to whomever, because I guarantee you there's something in this episode, because there's a reason you're here, right? There's something within this episode today that's going to strike a chord with you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Maybe it's to reinforce a point that you already know. Whatever the case is, it's going to hit home in some capacity. And you want to know what? If it's going to hit home for you, I guarantee you it's going to hit home for someone close to you as well. So urging you to share this episode. And without further ado, we bring to you our friend, James Altucher. James, welcome to Decoding Success. Excited to have you. As just mentioned, I love your work for many, many years. I've been listening to you on podcasts for many, many years. Amazing stuff. So welcome to Decoding Success. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me here. I, I am constantly thinking about how to decode success myself. You know, it's an interesting... I was thinking about this when you asked me on the podcast that does anyone come on your podcast and ever say, well, this is how you decode success? Like, I don't think that's possible. 
Yeah. So basically, when we first started this show back in 2018, the first question I would always ask is, how do you personally define success? I haven't asked that in some time now, just because I didn't want to be too repetitious. And as you continuously put out content, I didn't want people to just know like what to expect. I kind of wanted to throw a little bit of a curveball. But if you want to start there, that's exactly how I started to decode it. Because obviously, the way James defines success, the way I define success could be different, although it could also align. So let's kick that off. How are you defining success today? I mean, that's an interesting question because success sort of implies... Success in this context is like life success, right? You're not saying decode success of a game of bridge or something like that. Oh, I won the game of bridge. So I had success. You're saying success is like, oh, I achieved some life goal that many people want to achieve. And now I'm on to the next thing that's beyond success, this sort of heaven that exists after life before success. And I don't know if success really exists. I mean, every time I, you know, I think it's all about how are you measuring, you know, incremental small improvements in your life today? Like, what are you, what are you trying to get better at? What are you trying to do better? Are you trying to be a better family person? Are you trying to be a better businessman? Are you trying to have more money? Are you trying to create value? You know, which is a cliche phrase, but, you know, or, or some combination of all these things, you know, are you trying to be more physically healthy, more creative? So I think success, if, if I'm going to put an, a label, is like an umbrella of all these small incremental things. And, you know, that's something you can't achieve, but it's something you could decode. So, that's uh, interesting. You know, if, if, that, if that makes any sense. So like today, for instance, if I feel like I got... Oh, I was outdoors with my wife and enjoying life and you know getting some exercise, but I also had a chance to be a little creative today and maybe work on a project that's you know making me money, which is another type of success we could decode. Then I feel like today was was a a good day. And if today is a good day, there's no reason why life won't be good if each day you try to make it as as good as possible. I love that. Now, I've heard you say in the past, and it, you kind it, of, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's sort of like, like, are you, are you familiar with like poker or something like that? Absolutely. So in poker, you might make, and and this is the subject of a of a book by Annie Duke, but you might make good decisions, but still lose the hand. Like if you have a pair of aces that you're dealt, and you bet large before the flop, that's the right thing to do, even if you lose the hand. And so, mm-hmm. if I do everything today that, you know seems like it's improving the different areas of my life. But then for whatever reason, something bad happens, unlucky, whatever, it's a bad day. It's still a successful day because overall, if I keep making the decisions that are good for me and positive for me and just focus on that and try not to focus on the negative, which is very hard, then everything should trend towards success. So this is interesting. And I really love that analogy, especially when it comes to poker. I mean, it sounds like you're almost saying like, Try to control only what you can control. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, and I know that's something that a lot of people say. That's a, you know fundamental to everything from Buddhism to Stoicism, psychotherapy, or whatever. But yeah, you know, keep expectations low. So if I if I say my day is going to be miserable unless the weather is good, well, that's kind of a stupid thing to say because I can't control the weather. But if I say if I sort of have an open schedule and I say my day is going to be good if I do some writing, if I spend some time with my family, if I talk to some business partners and move the needle forward on that, if I kind of come up with an idea that excites me, 
you know, then those things are in my control. You know, if I sleep eight hours, that's in my control. Sleep is again a cliche type of thing, but it's very important. And then all your listeners know that. Um, if I if I you know spend some time laughing today, again these small things, but they they add up. If I write down ten ideas a day, I'm a big advocate just from my own experience of being very unsuccessful at different points of making sure. I exercise my creativity so that so that it's ready when I need it. That that's a successful thing for me to do today. But it's only about today. Like, what's what can I do today? Because I can't even. I don't even know if I'll be around tomorrow. But I know I'm around mm. right now. Mm. I love that. Now I'm curious if you do everything in your day that you know would bring you joy or make you feel like that you're you know you're you're moving the needle forward per se. But after that day, you still feel like shit or you feel like failure. Have you experienced that? Or what's your advice in regards oh, yeah. to... Uh, yeah. All the time. Because look, we're all on a spectrum of call it depression or, or happiness. You know, Everything's a spectrum. And some of that's nature, some of that's nurture, some of that's recent experiences. Sometimes you might get you know, hit over the head. Sometimes like everything might be great. And then for a year straight, you might be hit over the head every day. And so you're thinking on the day after that, that Oh, I'm going to get hit on the head again. And it's hard to not get addicted to those feelings of, you know, nothing good's going to happen to me or, oh, I, there was COVID and I just lost my job. And every, then I tried to start a business and it failed and my girlfriend left me and I can't meet anyone new. And, you know, you just start to get into this thing like, oh, here's another thing that, that just went wrong. It's, you know, somehow I'm just not winning anymore. And, yeah, it's it's easy to think that when you have like one or two good things that it was just, you know, a false flag that that really everything's going to be going to be bad from here on out and and the good days are just blips. And it's really hard to kind of have a positive mindset going through that, which is why you sometimes have to take a step back and, you know, and and again, I always, I feel like when when you know, you say what's decoding success? You know, some some like high powered billionaires might say, well, you know, it's finding the right people and then investing in, you know, trending exponentially growing industries and then, you know, making sure you, you out, you delegate when you can, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like the nuts and bolts of, of building a business. But, but to your point about like feeling like shit, you know, sometimes even when things are, are good, it's really important to say, well, is my fundamental health, and I don't mean necessarily physical health, is my fundamental beingness shining as bright as it could be? And I've had th these moments, like I, one time, you know, I had some money, I had sold a business, and then I lost all my money, and I was super depressed, and nothing good was happening to me. Like, I lost all my money from the business. My, the house that I, that I had bought, I couldn't pay for anymore, and, I, and then I couldn't find a seller. Because, you know, Arab terrorists blew up the building next door to my building. And like, that's how I was thinking about it. Rather than thinking, oh, 9-11, it's the worst event in U.S.'s history. I was thinking, oh, well, now I can't sell my house. And, you know, it was just totally like in my mind. And it was hard for me to look around and find a win, even find something to smile about, even when good things would happen some days. You know, I was a day trader and, and some days were good. So I could have been happy those days, but I, but I wasn't. And because my fundamental health as a as like a presence on this planet was very weak. The the force was not with me. And so how do you get the force with you? And I'm being, you know, somewhat, I guess, I don't know what the word is, satirical about using Star Wars, but that's almost how, how it seemed to me. And the key is before we start into decoding like 
the nuts and bolts of how to go from zero to millions, I had to make sure, was I physically healthy? And this is really important. I'm going to go through a couple of types of health, but you look at like a game like chess. Obviously, if you play basketball, you need to be working out every day. But did you know like the top 10 chess players in the world, they work out just as much probably as the top 10 basketball players in the world. Because even a mental game that requires creativity and focus and mental energy requires enormous physical health and resilience. Then there's emotional health. Am I arguing with my wife? Am I spending too much time arguing on Twitter? Someone just tried to start an argument with me on Twitter, for instance, and I feel it in my chest. Like, I've got to respond to this guy. He's like, I've known this guy 20 years. He's messing with me. He knows what buttons to press. I got to respond to him. But it's like a challenge just to not respond to this guy because it does. that's not going to... Overall, the benefits of me destroying him in a Twitter fight will not really increase the value of my life. And so am I emotionally doing the things I could be doing that, you know, help me feel better in the end? Creativity, you know, creativity is a muscle that needs to be exercised. Most people let it atrophy. So I always, I remember I started, this was one time when I was super depressed. I started writing down 10 ideas a day. And even though nothing changed in my external life, like I was still broke and losing my house and maybe losing my family and the IRS and everything. I suddenly, after a few weeks of writing down 10 ideas a day, I was super excited every day. Like, oh, what ideas will I come up with? Are any of them going to be good? Probably not, but maybe something will excite me that I work on it a little bit more. And, you know, it's exciting to know that your creativity is still there. And then, of course, there's, yes, you know, having a sense of surrender, like like you were saying, understanding which things in my life am I trying to control and which things am I not. So if I'm going to go broke and lose my house, that's done. What's next? And, you know, is there a way to save the house? Well, if not, that's okay. Because what's the worst case scenario? I'm not going to be, you know, I'll just downsize and, you know, whatever. There's, there's, there's always a worst case scenario that's never, or that's rarely as bad as, as people think. Like my daughter is like me. Like I think there's like an anxiety gene and she's always worried about things. And I always tell her, every time you predict something bad in the future for yourself, write it down and see if your track record is pretty good for that. Like if you're a good prophet of your own future. And Mm. I always have to say, and I do it, I do say it, I do say, I told you so, when she's wrong about this horrible thing that's about to happen to her. Uh, She's going to lose all her friends. Well, did did that happen? No, didn't happen. You were wrong. (laughs) Uh, Oh, if I get an A minus in this junior high school class, I'm not going to have a good job later. Is that true? You know, obviously not. So, you know, sometimes they call that spiritual health, having a sense of surrender to what you can't control. But, you know, it's also like surrender to the force. It could be your science fiction health. Right. These things are kind of like the platform which everything else comes from. Like if you're... If you're arguing with your wife, how are you going to build, how are you going to be creative to build a business? You're just going to be thinking about that argument on Twitter or or with your kids or with your wife or your friends. You can't play, for instance, professional chess if you're at the chessboard trying to focus and you're thinking about some argument you had that morning on Twitter. It's not possible. So all of these things are really related to every other type of goal or achievement or improvement you want to have in your life. You want to get better at skiing. You're not going to get better at skiing if these fundamental things don't work for you. And everyone might say, oh, well, I know that. Of course, I'm going to be physically healthy. Of course, I'm going to be this or that. But most people don't know it. Like, you know, obesity is the biggest in the world in the U.S. And and I'm not saying anything, you know, if someone is overweight and it's hard, I understand that too. Okay, well, 
figure out how to make small incremental improvements to get that under control. If someone's going through a divorce and it's a painful divorce, okay, I get it. I've been there, done that. And, you know, figure out what small incremental things you can do today to improve yourself. Oh, you haven't been writing down 10 ideas a day, you know, figure you'll use your creativity when you need it. Well, maybe try writing starting today. Why not? Write 10 ideas. I've, I've already done it today. Write 10 ideas a day. And it takes 20 minutes. And if it's a good enough list of 10 ideas, starting around idea seven, you're, it'll hurt a little bit. Your brain will be sweating and you'll be more creative at the, end, at the end of it than you were at the beginning. And on and on. I love this. Very big questions here. I, I want to know if it's possible or how you potentially measure your fundamental beingness. Is there, a, is there a way to measure this? Obviously, physically, sure. Maybe you could step on a scale, check your blood pressure, so on and so forth. But it's the other stuff, you know, the emotional side of things. I mean, it's, it's the spiritual really side of things. That's a great question. I've never really thought of it that way. I guess I just always think of, I always just do this check-in with myself. Did I do these things today? Did I work on my physical health, emotional health, creative health, you know, spiritual health? Like, did I do some exercise and did I sleep eight hours a day and did I eat okay? That's the physical health. Very simple stuff. Am I being a good husband, dad, friend, partner? That's the emotional health. Did I write my 10 ideas a day? Very simple. Did I check the box on that? Am I being worried about things I have no control over or can I take control over them or whatever? Like, did I, did I do something to move the needle there? I just kind of check in with myself on a daily basis that I've done these things. And if I have, then that's great. And, and so I don't really know of any other way to, to measure it because if I don't do those things, I guess the trend is down. And if I right. do those things, the trend is up. So maybe I measure more the first derivative of these things than the actual metric. Right. And you also mentioned something that I agree with, right? You, you said that people kind of already know to take care of their fundamental beingness. But here's the thing, and this is, this is what really interests me, James. People know to take care of it, but they sometimes choose not to. Or maybe they don't sometimes, but always choose not to. Or maybe they only choose one aspect of it. So why do you think people know something that they need to do, but choose to do the opposite or choose not to do it in general? Well, because the brain is not that smart, really. <laughs> so like the brain wants you to kind of just, you know, take it easy. And if things are going bad, maybe coil into a ball and avoid mm. all the bad things around you. So like, let's say, you know, you should exercise every day. This is great. When life is good, you know, let's say you're a billionaire, life's good, you have a gym in your house and you're feeling great. Okay, it's easy for you to go downstairs when you wake up and lift some weights and, you know, get a personal trainer and do what you're supposed to do. But when you're really depressed and nothing's working out and should I go for a new job? Should I apply for a loan? Should I try to get a girl? Like you're not going to if it if a thought comes to your mind, you know, maybe you should do some exercise. You're gonna be you're gonna be like, or I'm like, ah, not today. Today's the last day I want to do exercise because I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling down. I don't have energy. You know, everything is about energy. That's why human beings and all animals sleep is because we need to replenish our energy. By the end of the day, we're out of energy, so we sleep, and then we wake up in the morning, hopefully after eight hours, with more energy. But when you're depressed, you're, that takes away huge amounts of energy from your brain. And, and so you don't have the energy to do these things that are good for you. You don't even want to do them. And you kind of have to remind yourself, oh, this is my, my brain's playing tricks on me. It's not giving me the energy I need to do these things that are fundamental to increasing energy. So all these things that I talked about, on the one hand, you could say it's about success. 
But maybe another way to measure it is, am I giving myself energy or, or removing energy for myself? Mm-hmm. Like if I engage in this Twitter fight, I'm going to remove energy for myself. If I ignore it and read a book, I'm obviously going to gain energy for myself. Or if I ignore it and call my kids, I'm going to gain energy for myself. So everything is about energy, particularly as you get older, because like kids have infinite energy, it seems. But then when you get older and older, you're like, oh my God, I'm 30 years old and I haven't made my first 20 million yet. And you get depressed and, and you think to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm running out of energy. I should have done this when I was in my 20s or 30s or 40s or whatever age you are. And all it's possible, all of these things are always possible at any age because you can always do things to increase your energy. And by the way, then there is the second level and third level of decoding success, which is, okay, I'm interested in something. How do I get good at it? Then there's a whole other set of methods, assuming you have the foundation. And then, okay, I'm good at something. Now I want to build a business. How do you build a business? And then that's like the third level of things. And then the fourth level might be, okay, I've built a business. It's going great. How do I grow it more? How do I grow other areas of my life? You know, now that I'm past some hurdles that people have defined as hurdles and on and on. There's more and more levels, but you don't even need any of those other levels if you keep on improving just that first level of physical, emotional, creative, spiritual health. Everything else will kind of happen naturally. Now, I, I want to decode something about your mindset. And this is one thing that I love. You mentioned ideas. You mentioned you know, how you practice creativity. And I really love that. You have an abundance mindset because I, I heard you on an interview and I can't recall which interview it was, but essentially you were saying you know, every, every day, whatever it is, you write down ideas. And sometimes those ideas aren't necessarily for you, but they're also for other people or for other brands. And what you'll do is you'll send those ideas out. So for instance, you sent an idea to, I believe, Charlemagne the God based in New York City about a book he should write. Yeah. Where do you get that abundance mindset from? Well, first off, if you write 10 ideas a day, then after a year, you've written down 3,650 ideas. And what are you going to do? Are you going to work on 3,650 ideas? No, that would be insane. Even if every idea list is just one idea and then 10 parts of it, like you might have an idea of a book, here's, and then the idea list of the day is 10 chapters for that book. You're still not going to work on, I mean, it, it's amazing if you work on one or two ideas that are different a year or one or two ideas every five years. So you can really, you know, everybody's always thinking, oh, I've got this great idea. I can't tell anyone though, or they'll steal it. Believe me, I've had more ideas stolen from me than then most people have had ideas because I do this. And you have to be fine with it because A, when people steal your ideas, it's real validation that you as a human being are so creative that other people who aren't as creative need your need the the just brilliance flowing from your mind in order to make their lives better. So that should feel good. And second, it it's kind of like validation that, hey, I'm having good ideas. If I keep doing this, eventually there will be some fallout that is positive for me. Mm. And, you know, like I've, for instance, come up with idealists for Google. And then the next thing you know, I'm invited out to speak to Google. I've had idealists for Amazon. Like when they were starting their self-publishing years ago, I got, I sent them my ideas, how they can improve their self-publishing business. And they invited me out there to kind of see what they're, actually, they didn't invite me out there. They said, Hey, let us know if you're ever in Seattle and we'll show you around. We, we love this list. We'd love to show you what we're working on before we release them and get your feedback. And I said, well, it just so happens I'm going to be in Seattle next week. Now, I had never been to Seattle before in my life, and I had no plans to go to Seattle ever in my life. But of course, as soon as Amazon said, we'll show you what we're working on if you're ever in Seattle, I bought a ticket to Seattle. (laughs) And 
and so I out of my own pocket and and said, okay, I'll I want to meet Amazon, and it's been it was very useful meeting them because then later when I was publishing books with them, I have people to call. Like it's a way to build whether it creates financial opportunity for you or builds your network. I'm a very poor networker, so this is almost like my method of networking. And and the, the issue was Charlemagne the God. So I heard him do this interview, and something he said in the interview really rang with me. So I'm like, this is a book. And I wrote to Charlemagne and I said, look, you've never, you have a huge platform and audience. This, you know, this, you could be, it doesn't have to be just about music. It could be political. And this was during all the BLM protests in 2020. And I said, you could write a book for this. And I had my idealist. Here's the 10 chapters. And he said, this is great. Could you write this with me? And, And by the way, he responded instantly. Most people never respond, which is fine. But he responded instantly. He said, this is great. Can you help me with this? And I'm like, no, 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 this is for you. It would be great if if you do this. And I, but I said, I'll help you. And he had some questions and I made another idea list and sent that to him. And one thing led to another and Audible got excited about it and it became an Audible original. And right up until the very beginning of making the, the book, I was just saying, I'll, I'll just help you guys, but I don't need to be, this is Charlemagne's book. And it ended up, I ended up being like a co-author of the book and it was a bestseller on Audible and that was great. Did anything change in my life because of that book? There was a possibility for it, but no, not really. I mean, I just moved on to other things. Charlemagne moved on to other things and, you know, that was that. But it, it still became an exciting thing for me to, to be involved in that whole process. Absolutely. That sounds like a really cool opportunity, but I, I want to kind of touch on and that something. that never would have happened if I didn't have 10 ideas a day for years and get into the practice of sending my ideas to people. It never would have happened, this amazing experience. I ended up interviewing you know, a dozen or so of the top African-American intellectuals in the US on very important issues that I didn't know about. And Charlemagne set it all up, like we worked well together and, and Audible produced it. And oh, this amazing life experience that I have mm-hmm. now only because I do this practice. Absolutely. You mentioned in your story there about sending out ideas, how you receive at sometimes monetary rewards, but also at other times, you know, like network rewards. And I'm sure there are other types of rewards as well. How, and I'm trying to articulate this question here. I'm trying to view it because I personally love opportunities like this. Like this is a network reward, right? Being able to sit across from you, pick your brain, being able to amplify it, so on and so forth. But there's people in the world that only view monetary rewards as like the highest thing. Where, you know, maybe tomorrow I send you 10 ideas. You're like, holy shit, Matt, you just gave me 10 new book ideas, right? Like there's so many ways that network rewards could also be viewed in a high light. What's your, what's your take there? Well, I mean, there's some, there's a, I think there's a book that's titled this or, you know, your network is your network. Okay. Like, let's say you have a great network, then, oh, if I have a business idea, I'll call these people to get funding. I'll build the, I'll call these people to get customers. And then I'll call these people when I want to get acquired. So that's like the ideal of like a great network in business. And, you know, that, that works. Like if you don't have a network, it's very hard to like, think about like Uber. Okay. The Uber CV, CEO, Travis, whatever. I don't know if he was a good CEO or a bad CEO. He was eventually fired as CEO for various reasons, but he had some business ideas. Maybe they didn't really work out beforehand, but he was in San Francisco. He was hobnobbing socially with all the right people. So when he, when he started Uber, he had a lot of interest in people funding it, all like the top investors like on the planet because they all at that time lived in Silicon Valley. And those people, I mean, $1,000 invested in the first round of Uber, I think made $5 million. Every $1,000 in the first round of Uber made $5 million. By having a great network, 
and being in the right place at the right time, you know, made those people wealthier than they could have imagined. And, you know, very few of them, you know, it was life changing for all the people who invested in that first round. And so sometimes I think to myself, well, you know, like I knew all these people too, but I didn't move to San Francisco in the year 2000 or 1999 when, when people were even moving from New York City to San Francisco because that's where all the VC opportunities were. And, you know, what if the past, you know, from like 2015 till last year, I was focused on, I really loved stand-up comedy and I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And I really spent a lot of time trying to get good at that and touring around and performing. I was spending like, I was performing up to 10 times a week. And now I sometimes say to myself, well, what if I had focused instead on making money these past five or six years instead of doing something that really has very little monetary value? Well, I, I don't know what would have happened. My life totally would have been completely different. I met my wife, for instance, at the comedy club that I partially owned. And, you know, it's always easy to wonder what if, but at the same time, if you do what you love and you're surrounded by people who empower you and and are not judgmental, then, you know, yeah, so what if I made a billion dollars doing something else instead of this? My life would be different. I don't know if it would be better. There's all this evidence that, you know, billionaires aren't necessarily the happiest people in the world. You know, happy is a kind of yeah, you need your basic things. Like I would be unhappy if I didn't have food to eat. But, you know, and I've been very unhappy before at different points. But, you know, in general, you're happy doing things you love. I guess you have to have a balance. Like you have to make sure you're you're making enough money to support whatever lifestyle you want or, or accept a lower lifestyle. But, you know, you only have one life. So try to do the things you love doing for a large percentage of that life. Absolutely. Now, uh, I know you've done a bunch of podcasts to say the absolute least. You have your own show. I'm just curious. I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm saying to myself, all right, what's a question James wishes he was asked more or maybe hasn't been asked that he wished he was asked? Oh gosh, I don't know. Well, it depends it depends what I'm interested in that day. Like, let me ask you a question. Like, what are you interested in? What are you interested in improving at? Right now, psychological well-being. I'm I'm all jacked up on that topic. And like so that's that's not something like basketball or golf or sales or writing. That's a very kind of almost ephemeral thing. Like how would you measure psych- psychological well-being? Like I can measure golf by knowing what my score is at the golf course and am I improving? So I would actually go out on a limb and say psychological well-being does have a lot to do with basketball, golf, bowling, anything in which you perform in. And here's why. And this is just my take. I think if you are psychologically sound, meaning you believe you have, you know, you deserve what you deserve in life. Self-worth is intact. Self-esteem is intact. Your inner child isn't wounded or is in the process of healing. If you have all of these things intact, I believe you'll perform at a higher level physically than you would if all of those things weren't intact. And I think that ultimately oh, comes... Do you I agree? I agree with that. Yeah. That's like what I was mentioning earlier. Like if you're arguing with your wife, it's hard to right. play basketball. hundred percent. But like, how would you measure psychological well-being itself? Like if you're trying to get better at it? I think I would measure it by the results that are coming about in my life. And I say that because, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff is subconscious, right? Like I didn't know my self-esteem and my self-worth were really being deprived by materialistic items in my early 20s, you know, and that kind of showed up when, and a lot of it gets revealed in relationships, Right. When you start dating someone and then all of a sudden you get treated bad and then your therapist is like, hey, that story doesn't add up. It sounds like you're letting yourself get abused emotionally. And then you're like, holy shit, you know, like you you don't realize it. 
But yeah, yeah. I think I would, I, I would measure it because I think what we think about subconsciously, and again, it's subconscious. So we don't even realize that we believe these things or think these things. I think they show up in our life through the results, through habits, through actual physical forms. It's just bringing a hyper awareness to those things. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And then, so what do you do to improve psych, your psychological well-being? Numerous things. For me personally, therapy has been super helpful, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, although I can't necessarily say that it will improve every area of my psychological well-being. Secondly, reading has been huge. I, I think there are so many intelligent life forms that have either already existed and or currently exist that put out work that is mind-blowing to say the absolute least when it comes to this field and probably every field. And then lastly, there's so many different modalities of therapy that I don't think people are aware of. And when I say therapy, I don't necessarily mean like, hey, James, you and I are going to sit across from each other and talk today, like something such as EMDR, right? Eye movement. Another thing that's emerging yeah. right now is the use of ketamine, the use of you know psychedelics and, and things of that. I've never done that. And then how about even like flotation therapy? I've, I love flotation therapy, you know, just like I laying in a... That. It's incredible to say the absolute least. And it could Everywhere, provide. Like, how can I? How can I try it? I go to a place in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Actually, I'm not sure if you're still in New York. I, I believe that you were are in Florida now. At this current moment, I am in Georgia, and it looks like there is flotation therapy places right near me. Yeah, float therapy. And so here's the thing, James. I'm six foot five, so I'm not getting in any little pod because I'll be claustrophobic as fuck. But <laughs> I, I go to a place in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and it's a full on suite. So you walk in, there's a shower, there's a bench, there's a mirror, there's all this great stuff. And then there's the actual tank. And I, I mean, there's different types. Like I, I've done a, what's called sensory deprivation, total sensory deprivation, which I'm sure you could just imagine no sight, no smell, no taste, no hearing, no nothing. You're laying there in the pitch black. And it's pretty incredible because you can have a trip-like experience. And I've never done hard drugs, so I don't know what a trip is. But like, if you're just looking into pitch black abyss, you will see colors, you will see faces. You will. I mean, there, there have been times where I've seen you know, the Jesus that I grew up believing in, you know, based off textbooks and religious work, really incredible shit. But like, that's another form of therapy too. So I think to answer your question, like all of those different things for me is how I measure it and what comes up either in those sessions or, you know, in quiet time, so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, that's great. So do you have like a set of peers also that you talk to uh, not necessarily a therapist, but like the peers that you talk to about what you guys or girls are doing for you know, to improve psychological well-being, you compare notes and things like that. I wouldn't necessarily say compare notes, but I think that's a great point. I I, I should journal more often, uh, which I don't. I'm I'm very sporadic with exercises like that. But there are conversations that are held rather often in regards to how we're doing, especially you know, even when it is negative, because I think oftentimes in society, from you know, peers that I've been exposed to in the past, maybe not so much in the present, a lot of it was just positive, positive, positive. And especially with men, because maybe it's just an egotistical thing, like, hey, we can't look weaker toward, you know, the other that we're engaging with. But now I have a very comfortable and tight-knit friend group where it is safe to say, hey man, like I'm going through some shit. This is what I'm I'm experiencing just, you know, me talking to you and letting you know about it is helpful. But in regards to comparing notes, I appreciate that point because I think it is something that I should personally be doing more often, whether I share that or not with anyone, you know, just taking note for myself is important. And it seems like you do that rather often, even beyond the ideas that you're, you've been mentioning. Well, like this is sort of like the second layer. Like I described like the first layer of, of kind of building the foundation that other things come from. But then there's the second layer of like, okay, you're interested in something very specific. 
and how do you improve at it? And I always think in terms of like, do, have I found my plus minus equal? So a plus okay. is like a coach or someone better than you, like a mentor or, or a therapist in the case of psych or a set of therapists in the case of psychological well-being, you know, experts. And then the equals are your cohort, other people, you know, your friends that you, you bond with and you're all going through something similar and you, you know, oh, I tried this. I tried this. This is what happened. This was good. Don't, don't do this. And then there's the minus, because if you can't explain something simply, then it means you don't truly understand it. So you have a podcast where you're able to bring on guests and have these conversations and explain, you know, in simple ways so that your podcast becomes popular to a large group of people. And that's mm -hmm. a form of, of minus. And, you know, reading is a form of having a plus because it's like when you, when you read a book, it's like you're a psychic vampire. You're like absorbing the entire life experience of the author of that book. And now some percentage of it becomes part of your life experience. And that's why reading so great is that you could absorb thousands of lives. People who don't read just have their one life, which is fine. But people who do read have percentages of thousands of other lives. You know, and it might not be reading, it might be watching, you know, instructive YouTube videos or whatever it is. And, and then the other thing I always try to do is divide something up into micro skills. So improving psychological well-being is not just, hey, I'm going to be better today. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's the skill of going to therapy. There's a skill of finding out what alternative therapies might work. There's this skill of communicating, you know, learning how to basically communicate and being mindful about your communicating and, and, and mindfulness in general, like practicing mindfulness and so on. So you, you find, just like, there's no such skill as business, right? There's micro skills. Then business is like a basket of those. It's like sales, marketing, you know, coming up with ideas, execution, management, vision, raising money, selling a company, getting customers and, and on and on. So, so I always try to think, what are the micro skills and how do I get better at each one of those and so on. And, and that sounds like what you're doing for, you know, improving its psychological well-being. I'm sure everything, anything else you want to improve at, you, you would probably find a similar kind of, you know, fill in the blanks for that, for that model that I just described. So 100%. that's like the second level of, you know, okay, now I've got the foundation. Now I want to get better at, at my well-being or I want to get better at, you know, God forbid, golf or whatever. And, yeah. and so on. Yeah, I think, and it, it, this is a great talk right here. I, I think my question to you is, if you have a shaky foundation, but you're, you're beyond level one, which is the foundation, and you're, you've moved on beyond level two, do you think it gets harder to go back to support the foundation at that point? If, you're, if you say you're on level five? You mean like if, if you get depressed or if things start to fall apart? Yeah, I mean, listen, so what, what I'm referring to, and I, I really think foundation is built on our childhood. I really do believe that. And, you know, e even when it comes to physical health, right, you know, our childhood really does impact our physical health to, uh, you know, a great extent. So what I'm yeah. referring to, you know, say you, you were referring to the foundation as level one here, but, you know, you become this uber successful business person. We'll, we'll use that as the example. And, you know, you, you, you check all the buckets externally, but physically on a, a mentally and emotionally and spiritually on that foundational level, it, it's been built on a shaky foundation. Now, if I'm on that upper level, is it, do you, do you find it easier or harder for people to go back to, to repair the foundation? Well, again, I think, I think the foundation is something that still has to be built every single day. Like it every can't day. ever, okay. you never stop exercising. You never stop eating well. You, you never say, okay, well, I did that part. So now I don't have to eat well anymore. Like you're, <laughs> or, or I did that part. So I don't have to write 10 ideas a day anymore. Like I write, no matter what's going on in my life, I know that I'm slipping too much. If I don't at least spend time writing 10 ideas a day, I know 
the foundation's breaking and and I'm probably depressed or something. And so I so I make sure I, I get back to it. But sometimes it does slip through the cracks and I and I get into the habit of not doing these things. And then I but I know what I need to do. Yeah. I want to get better. So I have to be honest. So I really want to get better. Some people don't want to get better. Some people don't want to feel better. They want to feel like a victim or they want to feel miserable or they're so sad they feel that it's hopeless. But if you just do these things, it's not always a cure, mm-hmm. but it's at least a diversion and shows you that the world you hope for does exist. And and I know this because I've been as depressed as you could possibly be and and flourished doing these things and always getting out of depression doing these things. So I don't I don't necessarily think it's hard. Like I know sometimes it's depressing like let's say you reach the peak that you wanted to reach and then you falter and then it happens again. You go up and then you falter again. You're like, "Oh my gosh, it's never going to work out for me." But, you know, you just but that's just life and you just keep you keep going to the to the next plateau because there's always more and better vistas and, and plateaus. And it doesn't mean life has to be all rosy. People always tell me, oh, you know, things cycle. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're good. But then you see someone like have a stroke and mm. for two years, they're just in a living coma where their eyes are open, but they can't move or communicate. And then two years later, they just die. And things obviously didn't cycle for that person. I'm describing my, my father in particular. And things didn't cycle for that person. And you could see there are scenarios where things just go from bad to worse. Maybe. I don't know what was going on in his head. Maybe he found some way to, to, to bounce even then. But and he was a very optimistic person. But, you know, I do think for me right now, and I do falter sometimes or sometimes things don't work out. And if it's several in a row, I think, oh, gosh, what's going on? And then I think, oh, well, I can't write 10 ideas a day today. I got to deal with all this shit that's happening to me and, and so on. But ultimately, things will just get worse unless you get back to that foundation. And right. it might be harder in the sense that I thought I did this already, but you, know, you have to always keep doing it. Do you feel like your depression fueled you? Because I, I remember during our conversation, you were saying that the creative process of writing ideas would excite you. But yeah. do you feel like the depression fueled you? I don't know if it fueled me, but I think maybe getting out of it fueled me. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happens is that you kind of like, let's say I look back at the first time I ever went broke after making a lot of money. You know, I started off broke. I was pretty happy. (laughs) Then you make a lot of money and you go broke and you're in the same place you were, but now you're really unhappy. And because it's the direction that's more important than where you are. And it didn't necessarily motivate me like, oh, I'm going to show these people, I'm going to get it back. Like, I really thought I was just done. And but but now because of going through this a bunch of times and and other things, just like, you know, it's like these experiences are what build you. Like Mm -hmm. if you're doing stand up comedy, if you have like a killer night and everyone's laughing at every joke, you think to yourself, I'm a genius. Well, I'm the best comedian ever. And I don't really need to get better. I'm, I'm already the best in the world. And it's just like if you play a game of chess as an example or poker or tennis, if you win, you don't feel like analyzing the win because you were great already. You won. But if you lose, you know, like if you're, if you're a comedian, if everyone boos you, well, every comedian takes a video of all their performances. Do you spend the, to get better? You spend the time of looking, well, why didn't people laugh at this point when I thought they were going to? Or why? how could I have reacted better to when the crowd in this corner of the room started booing and then it affected this crowd in the other part? Or in chess, if you win, you're a genius. But if you lose, well, what moves caused me to lose? Why was my mindset in such a way that I couldn't see the correct move, even though it's obvious now when I analyze it afterwards? Like analyzing your losses, as cliche as it is, and losses in life, losses in other things, 
analyzing your losses are the fastest way to improve. And they change you. They make you a better chess player, golfer, comedian, businessman, person. Like analyzing losses are key. So, and I mentioned chess a couple of times because, you know, back in the 90s, I reached the rank of, you know, I was a young person. I reached the rank of master, which is a title in chess. I was a chess master and, you know, from playing in tournaments and, and so on. And I stopped playing for 25 years. And I just started playing in chess tournaments again last October. In the very first tournament, I've never even had a tournament like this ever since I was a kid. I had five losses and three draws and not a single win. And I'm like, what the, what, how could this even happen to me? Like this never happened before, but it was 25 years since I had played. And so I, at first I was depressed about it. And I called my wife, from the hotel. And I'm like, this is just stupid. I'm not, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm too old for this. But then I was thinking, you know what, this is great, because this is a treasure trove of tips to improve in these losses in this shit. There are diamonds buried if I do the hard work of going through shit. And it's true. I've analyzed a couple of those games. I have 30 pages of notes analyzing those games. And, you know, four months later, I'm not saying I'm a lot better yet but my last tournament i was undefeated so you learn from from your losses yeah without a doubt i know i have you for a few more minutes i want to squeeze a couple more questions out of you but before doing that i just want to let everyone know that your socials websites all of that good stuff books will be in the show notes of this episode it seems like you're hanging out on twitter the most these days is that correct yeah i mean i don't even know if i'm hanging out there that much like for the past year and a half i've really just kind of avoided social media and i'm not quite sure why i think it's because I was getting a lot of heat for an article I wrote. Oh, I wanted was, to bring it up. I wanted to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was responding to it like too much. And I'm just like, you know what? This is just useless. So I barely even read my email anymore. I just mm. kind of do what I love doing during the day. And of course, I do business activities and I, I'm very responsible in those. But like I pretty much stop posting on Facebook or Instagram or, you know, Twitter occasionally if there's something going on. But I never look at the at the feed, you know, as for anything. You know, I just look at people who, who mentioned me and I shouldn't even do that really. I stopped doing that for a while, but now I'm doing it. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't really, I guess Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to ask, you're the one that brought it up. I, I have to ask, do you think New York is still going to be dead forever? You know, first off, the new mayor is a good friend of mine. And he was, before he was even running for mayor, he was over my house for Thanksgiving. Like we're, we're good friends. And I wrote an endorsement for him. And he has since being elected mayor, you know, James, you should move back now and, and, and all these things. And I only moved out a few months ago of New York officially. But, you know, I think cities in general, and this is a good thing, I think cities in general are spreading the wealth. Like it used to okay. be the case that if you wanted success and opportunity, you know, financial success and opportunity, you'd go to New York City or LA or San Francisco or maybe Chicago, Dallas whatever. But, you know, there's been a huge exodus from all of the cities, not just New York, from all cities around the world, London, you know, other cities. And that's kind of spread the the talent and money that was accumulating in these urban areas to all other parts of the country. You could go to Kansas City and I picked that out randomly. I've never been there and probably find restaurants just as good and culture just as good and startups just as, as exciting. And VCs who lived in San Francisco six months ago, but now live in Topeka, Kansas, for whatever, because their family's there or they like the lifestyle or whatever. A lot of people moved to Montana from LA. That was a big, you know, I keep track of the change of address data in all these major cities because of this article that I wrote. And, and it's interesting to see the kind of demographic trends and how they're shifting. So is New York City dead forever? New York City has changed forever. And, you know, I am nervous in the short term economically when you have 
when you have literally like half a million small businesses or, or shut down mm. or not that much, maybe like 200,000 small businesses shut down for good, which is 200,000 more than shut down the year before, you know, net, you know, something like 25,000 restaurants and bars permanently closed in New York City. I do get, and office occupancy is still 10% of what it was. And, and the rent moratorium, you know, you have something like 600,000 people haven't paid rent in two years. I do get nervous what's going to happen to the taxes in New York. And, and you know, New York City is an expensive city to run. And, and, they, and they've already taken on a lot of debt. They can't take on that much more debt. So there's going to be at some point when, when the real taxes start to come in as a result of this exodus, and you'll see that next year and maybe the year after, what will happen to New York's services? Now, fortunately, you know, they, ha- they participated in huge bailouts and that helped a lot. And Eric Adams is tough on, on crime and he, he, and he listens to people on economic issues. So I'm really, I'm really hopeful that, that my friend and the, and the guy I wanted to be mayor will do good things. You know, I really wanted to send a wake-up call that there were problems that were not being addressed. And I think I feel like they're being addressed now. Like, hopefully that wake-up call will, will work. I'm glad to hear that because I'm still in New York. So I, I definitely appreciate I that. I love New York, man. i from there. I was born there. I lived there in and around there all my life. Like yeah. it, New York is, is the best. I, when I, the first day I went to work in New York City, I felt like, oh my gosh, this is like a famous, this is like a scene out of a movie, me going to work in New York City. It was like the best day of my life practically. And But you know, now I'm outside of New York and and I love it too. I, I've always loved yeah. wherever I've lived. So you know, but I hope I hope New York faces its challenges. You know, San Francisco might be in, in rougher shape than New York. I hear that. You know? the, 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 there's some shit going down, you know? That's yeah. that's what we're dealing with. But James, first and foremost, I want to express gratitude for this opportunity yet again. I could ask you a bunch more questions, but I want to respect the time that you've uh, you know you've given us graciously to join us on Decoding Success. Again, I'm going to make sure that all of your socials, websites, books, all that good stuff is in the show notes. So thank you, brother, for hopping on here. Yeah, Matt, I really appreciate it so much. And, you know, um, let me know when this is out. I'll tweet it all around and send it in an email to people. And you've got a great show and I'm glad I was on it. Appreciate that. You've just tuned into episode number 232 right here on the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend James Altucher. I always happen to mention that you can connect with the guests that we're featuring, in this case, James, through the show notes of this episode where all socials, websites, books, and projects, anything like that are listed below. So make sure you check out the show notes if you want to connect with James. And if you do so, let him know that you heard him here on Decoding Success. I'm sure he would absolutely love to have a conversation and whatever else good can come about from that. Now, with that being said, in the beginning of this episode, I had mentioned there is a reason that you listen to this episode in particular. You can listen to any podcast in the world, but regardless, you listen to this one for a particular reason. And I I can almost guarantee that it's not because you like my voice. If that is the case, I'm not opposed to it and I'm very grateful for that, but I think it's more than that. I think it's because something was said within this episode that will shift your perspective, give you a new perspective. Maybe it's something totally different, or maybe it's because you now have the opportunity to share this with someone and make an impact with them. So again, I'm gonna urge you to make sure you are sharing this episode. No matter where you share it, with who you share it, it does not matter. Just make sure that you are sharing it. It is totally free for each and every person that wants to tune in. And that is exactly why we are asking you to share it. There is so much goodness to come about from that. Lastly, if this is your first time tuning in or maybe you've been rocking with us for a really long time, I'm going to urge you to hit that subscribe button. Each and every Wednesday, we are pumping out new content with incredible guests 
just like James, a lot of amazing and incredible transformative conversations, very powerful conversations are to be had each and every Wednesday. I want you to stay in the loop. I want you to be a part of this community. So make sure that you're hitting that subscribe button so that you can join us each and every Wednesday. And until next time, see you next Wednesday.